This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. It is Wednesday, February 22nd, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mice, in for Dave Brown. Let's hit those horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Kelly Braun Johnson explores the historical intersection of ableism and racism and its impact on modern workplaces. Peter Parsons recapped a couple of major goalball tournaments that have been taking place this winter, including the Montreal Open. Plus, this year you could see the return of Samsung Galaxy. But first, we are going to start off with the top news stories of the day. Starting off with a parliamentary committee which is exploring possible interference in Canada's 2021 federal election. Emily Javesky has the story. Members of Parliament have already questioned witnesses from the RCMP, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service and Elections Canada. A report last week from the Globe and Mail said China worked in the last federal election to defeat conservative politicians considered unfriendly to Beijing and to help ensure a liberal minority government. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said last week that Canadian voters alone decided the last federal election. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. And we will be getting into a bit more details on this next story when we talk to Mike and get the weather update. But most of Canada is preparing for an extreme period of weather for the rest of the week. Karen Rebo has more. Environment Canada has posted warnings for extreme cold for the rest of the week in most of the prairie provinces and for parts of northwestern Ontario and northern Quebec. Southern Ontario, meantime, is bracing for a messy mix of weather to roll in from America's northern plains this afternoon and tonight. An ice storm will blow into southwestern Ontario, Hamilton and the Niagara region this afternoon, while the rest of southern Ontario can expect up to 15 or 20 centimetres of snow and ice powder perhaps some freezing rain too. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. And we'll get into a bit more of the weather with the daily poll question, but continuing on, we're going to pick up on a story that Michelle McQuig and I discussed yesterday. The Royal Ontario Museum is repatriating artifacts belonging to a 19th century Plains Creek chief. Emily Javesky fills us in. The Toronto-based museum is transferring a pipe and a saddlebag that belonged to Chief Poundmaker back to members of his family. A number of the leader's belongings were taken and housed in museums after the Northwest Rebellion in 1885, the same year Poundmaker was found guilty of treason. Pauline Poundmaker, or Brown Bear Woman, has been leading efforts to repatriate her great-great-grandfather's belongings and sacred objects from collections held in Canada and internationally. She says the growing movement of institutions repatriating items shows there is a willingness to address previous harms against Indigenous peoples. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And making our way over to B.C., researchers have discovered at least 17 unmarked graves near Alberni Indian Residential School on Vancouver Island. Terry Theodore shares the findings. The official record was that two students died at the school during its operation from 1900 to 1973, while the Truth and Reconciliation Commission said 25 students died. Sherry Metting, the lead researcher for historical records on the project, says they found many more deaths. Overwhelmingly, the cause of death was due to medical conditions, conditions that were very clearly inadequate conditions unhealthy conditions. Metting says survivors recalled small coffins being taken out of the building at night and finding human remains on the site. Terry Theodore, the Canadian Press. Now we're going to be making our way internationally as a North Korean official is calling UN Secretary, Secretary General's comments on the country's latest missile tests unfair. Charles de Desma has the story. Kim Son Gayong has accused Antonio Guterres of an extremely unfair and imbalanced attitude, 
after he'd strongly condemned the North's intercontinental ballistic missile test on Saturday and reiterated his call for the North to immediately desist from making any further provocations. Gayong accused Guterres of going on the rampage of illogical and miserable remarks, which he says a little different from those of the US State Department officials over the years. I'm Charles Duladesma. And then finally, Russia has suspended its nuclear arms pact with the U.S. Ben Thomas files this report. Putin made the announcement in a bitter State of the Nation speech, in which he also cast Russia as a victim and the one fighting for its existence in its war in Ukraine. He noted Russia is not withdrawing from the START nuclear pact, but reaction to the suspension was swift. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres calling on Moscow and Washington to return to dialogue immediately, saying a world without nuclear arms control is a far more dangerous and unstable one. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg had this. Over the last years, Russia has violated and walked away from key arms control agreements. With today's decision on new start, the whole arms control architecture has been dismantled. I'm Ben Thomas. And that's it for the news. Now we are going to head over to our daily poll. Before we get started with the today's poll, we are going to recap yesterday's poll. So on Tuesday, I asked you, how concerned are you that AI might impact how we learn? 89% of you agreed with me. You said very concerned. 0% said somewhat concerned. And then 11% said not concerned or worried at all all. We also did have a Facebook response. So uh, Corin wrote, AI is the way of the future. That is very true, but it doesn't hurt to be a little bit concerned of what the future may bring. But let's turn to today's poll, as we heard in the news segment before with Karen Rebo, that it is going to be a blistery, wet, rough day today. So how do you deal with bad weather during the week? Do you change your morning commute? Do you stay at home, work remotely? Do you not change anything at all? Or do you do something else? Do you do other? So we want to hear from you. Be sure to vote on our poll at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook or through Twitter at Accessible Media. And if you do select other, you know, Dave always is hammering on about this. You gotta let us know. Leave a comment with what you do instead if your option is not listed. But let's bring in Mike Ross this morning. Find out how he deals with bad weather days during the week. Mike, first off, hello, good morning. Now, I gotta find out when, when the weather is bad, like it's expected to be bad today, how do you deal with the the bad weather conditions? So the first thing um, since we've been working from home is uh, I, I don't have to adjust my morning commute because my morning commute is about 30 feet to the left behind me here to here. So it's an easy commute for that. When I have to go in for work later in the day, I absolutely will take a look and see what the highway conditions are going to be. And the great thing about my work at night at uh, uh, Scotiabank Arena with the Maple Leafs is the GO train stops right at the arena. So I can take the GO train from where I live in Ajax, about 30 minutes outside of Toronto, and take a GO train right into the arena. And basically, you get off at the front door of, of the rink. So I can make that adjustment and leave the driving to somebody else, which is usually a good idea in southern Ontario when the uh, the 401 is snow-packed. And, um, you know, they, they get the plows out, but sometimes it takes a little a little bit of time for them to really clear it and uh, and allow for multiple lanes to be open so it can be a long drive that half hour that i talk about between where i live and the city of toronto in a snowstorm in a car i've had it 
to be a two or three hour commute uh, in the in the past. So I love the availability of the train. And then around the house, what I do is I just have everything ready and and sort of laid out. So the bag of uh, uh, of melting agent is at the back door, ready to go onto the stairs in the front walkway. The shovel is out; it's next to the stairs, so I don't have to dig around through snow to find it. And if I need it. The snowblower is uh, is fueled up, primed up, ready to go as well. So it really is about being prepared for multiple scenarios because nowadays, you know, we, we get these snowmageddon warnings and then it turns out to be something completely different depending on where you live. So it may not be snow. And this is a perfect uh, example of it. This storm, you may not get snow. You may get more ice pellets or freezing rain or sleet or a mix of all of it. So good to be prepared for all uh, possible events that are coming our way. Yeah, absolutely. I I 100% agree. Like, for me, it, I'm usually in a similar situation, Mike, where it's like, yeah, it's, uh, I just go down the stairs. I don't need to worry about leaving the house in the morning when I'm uh, co-hosting with Dave. But, you know, Dave's away this week. I'm, I'm here in the studio. I, had to, I, I can't do the hosting from home, unfortunately. We haven't gotten quite there yet. But I, I typically just like to always make sure there's enough time to anticipate you know, any any delays, any slow wintry conditions. I like to get to places early. It lets me de-stress. It lets me mm-hmm. feel comfortable and I'm not rushing. I'm not going to be late. You don't, because as soon as you start going faster and especially in these conditions, that's where, where bad things happen. So take your time, just relax. And, and when you can work remotely, take advantage of it. Unfortunately, hosting a show, you got to be in the studio to do that. But uh Thank you so much for your thoughts, Mike. And as I mentioned at home, be sure to vote on the poll at on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. or through Twitter at Accessible Media. Now, before we move ahead and get Mike's weather report, we have a bit of a correction to make. So we made a mistake on our news quiz yesterday when we asked a question that more than 100,000 protesters gathered outside which country's parliament ahead of several legislative votes that would limit the power of the Supreme Court? The correct answer was Israel, which means that Mike actually did answer the question correctly and would have gotten the point. Unfortunately, it would not have changed the the final um, tally for Mike, but it would have led to a tie between Karen and Jim. So I do apologize for that. You know, it's been a while since I've hosted the uh, the quiz. So we'll make sure that next time we, we put Jim and Karen in on a head-to-head to see who really won this, this last uh, week's quiz. Okay, but now let's head over to Mike, the, uh, the winner of that extra point, to find out what's happening in the world of weather. And thank you very much, Alex. It is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We begin in St. John's, Newfoundland. Snow heavy at times today. That'll be about 15 centimeters in total. The temperature falls to minus 4. The wind chill, minus 14. In Halifax, it'll be mainly sunny today with a high of plus 4. And the wind chill will be minus 17. To Montreal, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of minus 5, the wind chill minus 11. In Ottawa, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of minus 7, the wind chill will be minus 10. In Toronto, cloudy today with some snow, heavy at times, the high is minus 1, the wind chill minus 10. Thunder Bay, Ontario will be sunny with a high of minus 12, the wind chill there though Minus 33 this morning, minus 18 this afternoon. That will come with a risk of frostbite, and that will be common in the next several destinations, including Winnipeg. Sunny, minus 24 is the high, minus 42. The wind chill this morning, minus 34 this afternoon. Saskatoon, mainly sunny, the high, minus 27. The wind chill, minus 42 this morning, minus 36 this afternoon. In Calgary, periods of light snow with the temperature steady near minus 24 and a wind chill near minus 34. Edmonton has a mix of sun and cloud and a high of minus 24. The wind chill this morning, minus 40. The wind chill this afternoon, minus 34. 
to the Northwest Territories in Yellowknife. A mix of sun and cloud there with a high of minus 25. The wind chill will be steady near minus 41. Let's move into British Columbia, where Vancouver will be cloudy with some flurries. The temperature steady near zero. And Victoria, B.C. is cloudy with some periods of snow between two and four centimeters in total and a high of plus one. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll be sure to check in with you later on in the show. But coming up next, Kelly Braun Johnson explores the historical intersection of ableism and racism and its impact on modern workplaces. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Day Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mike, still filling in for Day Brown. As Black History Month continues, so does the conversation around the importance of intersectionality. Historically speaking, where have racism and ableism intersected? Kelly Brown Johnson can offer some perspective. She is the founder of Completely Inclusive, and she joins us now. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. So let's get started. So how has ableism and racism been intersected historically? So if we go back to the slave trade, I mean, that's a perfect, it's a horrific example, but it's a perfect example of when we have the collision of imperialism and capitalism um, coming together. And this is where we see this concept of people as prophets, right? So it was the strongest people, the able-bodied people that were chosen, um, and the ones who survived, obviously, the being kidnapped across the ocean as well. But those who could work, do heavy manual labor uh, in hot sun and in all sorts of conditions. Um, and so those ones were the ones that were valued. They were the ones that were more profitable for uh, enslavers to keep. And of course, those who were not able to keep up were either beaten or killed. And so there's a great emphasis on bodies, uh, bodies that could be more productive and make more money. And we still have these um, these concepts kind of continuing today in the workplace. And so in in terms of the backdrop of slavery, like how does that, what does that mean in terms of people acquiring disabilities? I think there's a lot of fear, uh, and, and, you know, when we when you think about this fact that, well, if I get a disability, then I'm not going to be able to be productive. Um, you know, this, when we always talk about being a productive member of society and so much emphasis is put on that, and of course, that means that you have to work. Um, and so people think of disabled bodies and not being able to, not being able to do that, to work to that capacity. Um, and we know even if we go back again to the slave trade that that African people were actually actively disfiguring themselves or maiming themselves so that they would not be chosen uh, to be enslaved. And so we, we can see all sorts of different parallels um, in history and through now where we're, we're putting this value on our work, our output, our productivity and our bodies and using that as the uh, kind of the archetype of what is good, uh, what is uh, profitable, what is what is beneficial for, for the workplace. Yeah, it truly is horrific hearing those types of stories and, and learning about what people had uh, to do in order to avoid the slave trade and, and things mm -hmm. like that. But as you mentioned, you know, there there is still a continuation of this. As, as workplaces have evolved, how has ableism and racism continued to be entwined? Well, I see that these systemic issues, they're still there, right? And we're all kind of living under it. And a lot of the times we're kind of subconsciously just kind of carrying it out. Um, but we see, unless people are really taking the time to analyze um, how they're thinking, what their actions are going to be, their behaviors, then we'll continue to see racism and ableism and, and all different barriers in the workplace. Um, we can see it really exemplified when people get scared of like uh, things like affirmative action. Um, and we even look at, if we go back to the 70s and 80s, when more women were entering the workplace and a lot of men were going, well, what 
how am I going to have a job if all these women are taking the jobs? And so we see these kind of parallels, these kind of um, themes repeated in different ways when we're talking about hiring Indigenous people, or we're hiring Black people, we're hiring uh, two-spirit uh, LGBTQ people, or we're hiring disabled people. And then all of a sudden, people start to be threatened and say, well, what about me? Um, I'm going to lose a piece of my pie. And, and that's something that I think people have to really analyze and think about more. Absolutely. Well, and also, too, there's there's been more, uh, I guess, education, more training, more awareness of the the need to improve diversity, inclusion, equity in, in workplaces. And that comes with a form of, of training and, and workshops and things like that as well. So how has, uh, like, you know, intersectionality been approached in these types of educational settings, these, these trainings, these workshops and things like that? I think, unfortunately, despite a lot of the work that, that people like me are doing when we're working in diversity and inclusion and accessibility, um, that part seems to get forgotten a little bit because workplaces, and I'd say even just all of humans, we love to categorize things. We love to put things in neat boxes, and that helps us, uh, we feel. I think it gives people a sense of being able to kind of control things. Um, and so a lot of the times when I approach companies, it's very much, oh, well, that was an HR thing from last year, or this belongs to finance, or we're only going to look at gender equity this year. And people don't work like that. People are much more complex, right? And so if we are not really uh, approaching intersectionality in the work that we're doing, um, just a quick example, the experience of a blind man is going to be different from the experience of a blind woman. The barriers that they face are going to be different despite the fact that they're both blind. And if we choose not to look at people as complex, multiple identity people, the way that we are, um, we're leaving out real world, world experiences and we're not getting the full picture. In terms of how people can kind of improve this, uh, I guess, this outlook and, and, and make sure that we're doing a better job as including more of these these isms in in the training like what what can be done better to improve the diversity training the inclusive uh, in the inclusiveness and and the intersectionality in in training so i wanted to i was going to flip your question a little okay. bit to kind of um you know the work that i'm doing is not about the isms mm. right uh, the the racism sexism classism ableism um it's about understanding how race and sex and class and disability and people and communities um, as a whole and how we all work together. Um, so just to be very clear, you know, the issue of racism belongs to the racists. It doesn't belong to black people. It doesn't belong to racialized people. The issue of sexism belongs to the misogynist and not, not to women. Um, and so I really advocate for people to use their lived experience as much as possible when we're doing this work um although that can be uh can be very difficult for people to to want to share those stories so i understand that you can't have everybody who has lived experience doing this kind of diversity and and, and anti-racism and accessibility work um but and as as much as i have many different intersection uh, intersectional identities as well i can't do it all i don't i don't live with all of them so uh as much as possible i bring in other es experts to work with me um but i really feel that having people with lived experience kind of adds that rich richer element to it it's more real life this is more the kind of people that we will encounter on a day-to-day -day basis and i think that by having these kind of deeper dialogues with each other is really the way that we're going to um, overcome or really dismantle a lot of these systemic uh, issues and challenges that are in the workplace and out in all of society have there been any positive signs in in your work that whether it's, it's people coming forward being more open and willing to to share their lived experience or feeling more comfortable in in their workplaces, in their settings, to to be their authentic selves. I've really seen um, some very positive examples from some of the some of the companies that I've worked with. Um, one, for example, that put a huge emphasis on uh, invisible disabilities. Again, I don't really like calling them invisible. They're usually visible in some way, um, or hidden disabilities. But they put a big emphasis on that and on mental health, and it was 
absolutely amazing and completely moving to see when I was able to assist uh, at a panel that they had where they had everybody from the CEO to any other person, um, you know, sharing their learning disability, sharing their experience with TPI, sharing their experience um, with depression, and the impact that had, um, well, first, the fact that they were so brave and they felt safe enough to, to be able to share that with the whole company, but the impact that had on the other employees, and I think the kind of environment and culture that that then creates um, is absolutely amazing to see. And I was, I'm so humbled that I was able to, to witness that. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Is, is there something that people can do? Like, is there an important first step, I guess, when, when approaching these types of conversations and, and being introspective? And it's like, how can, as a business or as an individual, change your, your uh, outlook on uh, how to address or, or tackle or approach intersectionality? I think people have to really go with their open mind to really put the ego at the door and to believe people uh, and their lived experiences. Um, the, the first reaction a lot of people have when they, oh, when they hear, let's say, let's say I was to share something, uh, um, a microaggression, right? Um, and I don't, again, I don't believe in microaggressions either. There's many, there's many terms that I, that I, that we use that I don't, I don't follow along with. Um, it's an aggression. Um, and it's uh, the, the first reaction a lot of the time is, uh, I can't believe that was so bad, or I can't believe that happened to you. And it, I think it's really important that people understand that we, uh, people who lived in, in different bodies, people who are racialized, we experience barriers and and discrimination on a regular basis. And if you choose not to believe that that's happening, then you cannot uh, understand the depth of the problem. Um, and so there's often a lot of of uh, denial almost, and I, it feels like in being invalidated from my experience and almost gaslighted because I'm like, oh, the, you know, maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't that they were racist. Maybe, you know, people make excuses for all sorts of things. Uh, maybe, you know, they were just trying to help, um, you know, uh, people kind of assuming people's needs, uh, especially, you know, when we talk about disability. Um, all the good intent and all the excuses we can make don't erase the actual um, issue or the problem that happened. And it's really important to believe people when they say, this happened to me, this this was how I interpreted it, and I've interpreted it this way because this has been my life experience up till now that shows or demonstrates that this is what is happening. And so when we're telling you that these systemic issues, that this discrimination is happening on a regular basis, you have to believe us. That's the that's the first way to gain that knowledge and that understanding of what's happening to other people. Uh, even if that's something that you wouldn't do, and that's fantastic, you're a wonderful person, but it's happening to us and many, many other people are doing it regardless of what one person is doing. Absolutely. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time uh, diving in this topic with us. I, I really appreciate it and really appreciate the conversation we had. Thank you so much. That was Kelly Braun Johnson, who is the founder of Completely Inclusive. Coming up next, this year could mark the return of Samsung's Galaxy's Fan Edition series. Marco Follow fills you in on the details. But first, here is Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index tumbled nearly 1.3% to start the holiday-shortened trading week yesterday, while U.S. markets slid more than 2%. Toronto's TSX index lost 262 points to close at 20,252. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 697 points, and the Nasdaq fell 294. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index fell 368 points, and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.78. Since U.S. Quebec Premier Francois Legault says he'll head to Newfoundland and Labrador this week for talks on a new Churchill Falls hydroelectricity deal. The 1969 agreement between the provinces allows Hydro-Quebec to purchase the majority of the electricity generated at the station in central Labrador. As of 2019, the deal has yielded close to $28 billion in profits to Quebec, compared to just $2 billion for Newfoundland and Labrador. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. 
Samsung is poised to bring back its fan edition smartphone line later this year. Marco Polo is here from Montreal to share more details. And Mark is also the co-host of Double Tap TV on AMI-TV. Hey, Mark, how's it going? I can't complain yourself, Alex. Yeah, not too bad. I mean, the storm hasn't hit yet, so I, I think um, I'm still in uh, good shape. Maybe this afternoon I, I may have a different approach. But, uh, okay, <laughs> let's, let's dive into it. The last fan edition phone from Samsung Galaxy was the S21 FE which launched right at the beginning of 2022. What distinguishes this new FE line from the one that was introduced last year? Number one, it's, a, it's important to kind of state that this isn't yet confirmed, so we're still talking about rumors here. That being said, the fan edition was widely accepted by a lot of people because it offered the, the Galaxy experience, like our flagship experience, uh, a lower cost point, but also sacrificed a couple features. For example, water and dust resistance and the amount of memory wasn't necessarily the same, and the, and the actual software experience was a little bit different as well. That being said, it is something that Samsung is catering more towards those kind of hardcore fans that really just want to get into a Galaxy device that don't necessarily want to spend, you know, two, three thousand dollars for a phone. Now, there were multiple uh, reports and news stories last year that basically indicated that Samsung had decided to cancel the fan edition line altogether. Why was that? Well, there were never actual confirmations from Samsung that said why they were canceling it. It definitely wasn't released last year, so it wasn't on their slate. Instead, what they did was they released some lower-cost 5G phones in their A-series. So they have an A23, an A22, et cetera, et cetera. They were virtually the same devices as the Fan Edition, but didn't have that moniker on it and didn't promote it the same way. So it did offer people the same kind of downgraded experience, but even more so than the Fan Edition in previous years. You had only one camera on it, lower megapixel count. It didn't even have 5G. So there were a lot of major differences, whereas the Fan Edition traditionally has maintained a lot of the flagship features at just a lower cost. Now, Mark, can you help me understand? Because we know with all these different phones and phone companies, like there's so many different iterations, different levels of the devices. You mentioned the A series, and then there's the Samsung Galaxy. Like where did the Fan Edition kind of fit in under the Samsung uh, phone lineup? Was it just right under the Galaxy? Was it uh, like under the A series? Like where did it fit in that order? It, it kind of fit it. You have to look at a kind of price point, Alex, because if you look at the flagship devices, we're now talking about two, two and a half thousand dollars Canadian. So those are pretty expensive devices on par with like the latest iPhone Pro Maxes in the world. The fan edition came in at around $700 or less. So it, it definitely sits underneath those flagship devices, but above those kind of really cheap entry level $200, $300 versions. The reason is, is that they're trying to target those kind of, you know, mid tier teens who are just getting into a smartphone, kids who are graduating from elementary school, going into high school, their parents want to get them a device that is capable and has a lot of features, but doesn't want to go out and spend $2,000 for them. So the $700 price point is a pretty good flavor for a smartphone that has 5G, has a great camera, and has that storage and fits in into the you know, the picture. We don't yet know if there's going to be an A series of phones this year. So for now, if this actually comes to fruition, I expect the fan edition to fall right below the Galaxy S23s in that in that seven eight hundred dollar price point. Right, right. Now, why is it called the fan edition? I mean, you, you mentioned some of the things that were taken off uh, or or not included uh, compared to the kind of the flagship phones, but. Uh, why is it called Fan Edition specifically? So the, there was an uproar about three years ago when Samsung, they were releasing their Note series and their Galaxy S21 series. And there was a, a lot of community out there who said that they wanted a little bit different of experience. They didn't need all this all this heavy waterproofing and all the stuff that they were charging a major premium for. So what they did is they actually listened to the feedback and delivered a phone that was what the audience wanted. And that's why they gave it the moniker of the Fan Edition. And it extends not only to the hardware, but also to the software experience, because traditionally, when you get a new Samsung Galaxy device, whether it's a flagship device or not, there's a lot of bloatware they call it on there. So it's a lot of software that's on the phone by default that people don't really want. This is why people tend to go towards you know Google Pixel devices, because they've got what we call a vanilla Android experience. And when I call vanilla, it's plain. 
You know, it's a plain Android experience that doesn't have these extra apps and these extra skins on board. The Fan Edition kind of takes the cue from those devices and gives a little bit less bloated of a device while still maintaining a lot of the features that they can. It's a it's a careful balance between the price point and the feature set because you don't want to cannibalize those people who are willing to spend two two thousand dollars on a major device. So they got to figure out, okay, what features can we take off? And that's why they call it the fan edition because the fans really wanted this device and they gravitated towards it as well. So they, they kind of proved their point. Go figure. You you listen to the fans <laughs> and, and, and the consumers Amazing and you make products based on that. I, I, I mean, I'm shocked Samsung is still in business with that kind of philosophy. Uh, so I know you you talked about this. This is still rumored. That there's nothing confirmed yet. But have within those rumors, have there been any indications of when a possible release might be, or what time of the year a uh, possible S23 fan edition may come out? Yeah, we're definitely looking around the fall time frame, so August, September. Typically, they time this around the launch of a new iPhone, so they can try to put something new into the market at the same time that other competitors are releasing their stuff as well. So if it comes to fruition, which we do think it is, the rumors are pretty strong, we're going we're gonna to see it probably late summer, early fall. All right. Well, thank you for, for bringing that story. There was another one you, you wanted to bring up and, and, and talk about, and it involves Uber as Uber users in Canada can now activate a new safety feature during their ride. So how does this new feature keep customers and drivers both safe? Well, you know, you've heard of dash cams before and a lot of taxis and different, you know, companies have dash cams in, in their cars to make sure that if anything goes wrong or goes awry in the actual ride, they have a record of it. Well, Uber, because it's not regulated the same way, can't really put cameras into their cars. Of course, people can have dash cams if they want. So this new feature is an audio recording feature. You're able to, as a user or as a driver, actually turn it on and it will automatically record the entire ride, any audio that happens during the ride. And the second that ride is ended and you hit pay, it will stop that recording. Now, this isn't something that you can just go into like voice memos and grab and say, hey, did listen to my ride. It's for the purpose of safety and security so that if something does happen and you do file a complaint as a rider or you do file a complaint as a driver, Uber can retrieve that and attach it to the file, the audio recording, so that if there is anything that did go wrong, you have a record of it. It's a, it's a nifty way that they're, they're trying to use the technology a hand, meaning the phone that everybody's using in their hands to control the Uber experience and take it to another level. They're trying to find different ways to enhance the security of the ride and make people feel more comfortable because we have heard some horror stories with Uber. So this is just one of those one of those little you know knives in their arsenal to try and combat that. Now, how much control does the the rider have over these recordings? Can they actually access? And I know you, you said it it's not like they can just go into voice memos or anything, but can they gain access to it? And can Uber use these recordings without, you know, the, the rider's knowledge or possible consent? No, the only way they could use it is, number one, you you know right away, the driver knows right away if you have initiated the recording. It's a feature on the app. You can choose it when you actually start your ride. And if anything goes wrong and you file a complaint and there's an investigation, that is the only time that Uber themselves can release that recording and actually give it to authorities to investigate that further. So there's no real privacy concerns going on here. Awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so much for, for bringing these stories uh to our attention it's always great to catch up with you and i hope you have a, a wonderful day you too alex okay that was mark aflalo co-host of double tap from montreal and you can follow double tap on twitter at double tap on air and be sure to always come in comment we want you guys to engage with us as well so be sure to check out and, and vote on our daily poll today i'm asking you how do you deal with bad weather during the week do you change up your morning commute? Do you give yourself a bit extra time? Do you maybe leave a bit later? Do you adjust your schedule? Do you stay at home, work remotely? Do you try to see if you can not have to go into the office or go in that day? Do you not change anything at all? Do you just keep your schedule the same and, and just kind of deal with the weather? Or do you do something else? Do you do other? And remember, if you do select other, we want to know what you do instead. So be sure to vote on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. or on Twitter at Accessible Media. Coming up next, Derek Lackey will tell you all about Deaf and Disability Arts Grant in Manitoba. But first, 
Sony's new PlayStation VR is set to hit shelves today. Here's reporter Mike Dubusky with Tech Trends. You're going to have to plug it in. The wire for some people is going to be a major drawback. You kind of have to remember that it's there. You get too twisted around. But Ian Hamilton, managing editor of Upload VR, says Sony's new device does come with features like eye tracking. They can draw the greatest detail directly in front of where your eyes are pointed. It also integrates haptics, which can vibrate the headset under certain circumstances. Pricing starts at $549, but that doesn't include the PS5. And gadgets Devinder Hardawar says that makes the PSVR 2 a tough sell, at least for now. Maybe in a year or two, when the price drops a lot and there are more games available, I think it becomes more enticing. I just feel like this launch price is strictly for the people who gotta have VR right now. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Mike filling in for Dave, who's just getting some well-deserved time off. Artists with disabilities in Manitoba will have the chance to apply for some grants before the end of March. Community reporter Derek Lackey joins us now from Winnipeg to give you all the details. Good morning, Derek. How are you doing? Not bad. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. So... These grants come together by the Arts Accessibility Network Manitoba with funding from the Manitoba Arts Council. Who is eligible to apply for these grants? So any artist or individual that either runs their own business, is a, a an artist that has a disability or, or is deaf, is eligible to apply as long as they are an Arts Accessibility Network Manitoba member. And so what type of proposals are they accepting? So the proposals they're accepting is for individuals, whether you need some studio time, whether you need some art supplies, maybe we need to hire um, some graphic designers to maybe do some improvements to your website, uh, whatever the case may be, anything that you need to further uh, your ability as an artist or to further your own, uh, your, your mission a, a, as an artist or, or ability, whether it's for employment or whether it's for your, your personal uh personal ability as an artist, uh, anybody looking to further uh, that ability. So um, you can go ahead and apply for one of these grants. In terms of the the uh, application process, you know, some of these can be very lengthy. Like what do people need in order to apply? Like what 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 do they need for those applications? So the most important thing is, first of all, you would need to be an Arts Accessibility Network uh, Manitoba member. Um, so that's number one most important. And you can do that by visiting aanm.ca and following through there um, to do the application process to become a member. And once you're a member there, you need to submit uh, a small portfolio of your past and previous work, as well as uh, a, <clears throat> a little essay or, or a survey basically explaining the outline of what it is you're planning on using uh, this grant uh, proposal, should you receive it, what you would be using that money to, to do for yourself as an artist. And what is the deadline to apply uh, for this grant and how many grants are they giving out? So the deadline for this application process is March 31st of 2023, which is coming up uh, in the next month. And there are four of these $2,000 grants available. So there's definitely lots of ability there for us as individuals within the disability community to go ahead and reach out and try and achieve some of that uh, very necessary and uh, very crucial funding at, at times for us as as artists to try and reach out and uh, you know get ourselves a little bit uh, ahead of the game. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, very important and we'll be sure to put all the information up on our blog ami.ca slash now. So let's shift over from art and let's move into the world of sports. So. Locals in Winnipeg can enjoy some adapted skiing amongst a few other winter sports. The, the program is put on by Accessible Sport Connection Manitoba and is in conjunction with Vision, Vision Impaired Resource Network. So what kind of winter activities can people get involved with and try out? 
So if you come out to this event, um, there is adaptive skiing, as as mentioned. There's also kick sledding and snowshoeing that will be available for individuals of all disabilities to try, uh, whether it's visually impaired, whether it's deaf, whether it has a um, uh, limb loss or an amputee, uh, whether it's cognitive delay, whatever it may be. We, we have all the accessible um, equipment that we need for all the different disabilities out there. And it's really about getting everyone out and just trying something, something new or just getting together um, and, and having that mix of crowd, right? That mix of experience and inexperience and, and showing, showing individuals, whether um, you're whether you're part of the disability community or not, uh, we're showing them that we have the ability that there's nothing that really stands in our way. There's always a way to, to be able to be part of something and it's just a matter of finding out how do we adapt yeah that's that's critically important especially also too what's equally as important is the people who are putting on these programs the facilitators now they've been described as the dynamic duo and i'm 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 thinking it's not batman and robin who will participants get to, a chance to to work with during these activities so the two individuals we get to work with, first of all, is Kirby Coat, who is a um, a, a very well-known uh, athlete within the disability community, I believe was a swimmer. Um, she is not a very experienced uh, skier, but she's very keen to get in there. And uh, she is kind of one of the main leads for uh, Accessible Sport Connection Manitoba and has been leading the way on trying to put together um, groups like Accessible Sport Connection Manitoba and uh, putting together athletes with um, para-athletes and individuals within that community that have the experience to help um, kind of navigate and, and guide the ways through accessible sports. So she's kind of your first uh, member of the dynamic duo that you'll get a chance to meet. And the other member is, I, I don't want to ruin his name here, but I believe it's Alexander Konico uh, or Korinko. Um, he was actually a uh, 2014 uh, para-athlete. So he participated in the Suji Olympics in 2013. Uh, he's actually a para-athlete in ski and biathlon, so he's very experienced. He's very knowledgeable when it comes to um, accessible sports and has been a very uh, instrumental leader in, in, in trying to find ways to bring adaptive um, sports and, and Paralympic sports to the disability community for years now. Oh, that's great. That's, that's awesome to have uh, two experienced people that you can... Uh, enjoy and get your 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 feet wet with with the new sport. Uh, now, another great thing about these events is that equipment will be provided. So, uh, I'm curious, like, how often is this running, and where is it taking place? Okay, so this is actually a weekly event that's taking place, especially here in uh, in Winterpeg. We seem to have snow probably right until August. Um, so, you know, you can always go skiing and golfing at the same time. <laughs> so this is this is taking place every Tuesday evening uh, from six until eight p.m. and it is running at the Kildonan Golf Course off of Main Street um, here in Winnipeg. Yeah, you'll have the chance. There's definitely a great amount of uh, accessibility and and being able to get there. Whether you're riding the bus, whether you're getting driven in a car. Everything is is there. It's very accessible to achieve. There are full details, um, whether you're navigating alone or, or with a companion, as to exactly where uh, the golf course clubhouse is so you can get there on your own uh, or whether you're with friends. They are all meeting at the golf course clubhouse. So that's where the, the meeting will take place because there's also washrooms available there. So that way uh, we can get inside. You can warm up. You'll have access to washrooms. All of the equipment is there. So whether it's skis, whether it's sleds, whether it's snowshoes, everything is there and available. But if you do have your own equipment, you are more than welcome to come on out and bring it with you to come out and take uh, take part in these events and and maybe even you know take off your equipment and and try a different activity whether you're you're an experienced uh, cross country skier and you want to pick up a little bit of snowshoeing or or try one of the other uh, adaptive sports like kick sledding it's all there and it's all there for us to try 
That's awesome, Derek. Now, I'm I'm curious before we let you go, like, if, which adaptive sport speaks to you or appeals to you most? And I'm curious why they, why it does. You know, I I, I am an experienced cross country skier um, from back, obviously back in my school days. But I did have my own set of skis. I, I picked it up after my grade six winter camp when we went to Camp Red Rock, uh, out in 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 Ontario there. And, um, you know, I, I had my chance there. I really loved it. I picked it up. I brought it home with me and I got my mother a little bit involved and my younger sister. And I've also been pretty experienced at snowshoeing. I, I quite enjoy just, you know, especially in the past when I could see what I was doing, just disappearing off into the bush uh, with some buddies and taking off with a pair of snowshoes and, and uh, disappearing into the woods for a while and enjoying some of nature. But the one that kind of really interests me is this kick sledding because I've not really heard much about it. And for me, it would be something new and, and I'm all about trying a new and different sport. So I'm actually quite interested in maybe trying to get out there and seeing, Hey, what is this kick sledding? And, and, you know, maybe, maybe I can have some fun with it because I've, I've recently introduced my son to debogging and he's, and he's very, very into it. So that's awesome. Derek, thank you so much for bringing these events forward. It, it's They're two awesome things happening, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. It sounds great. Thank you so much. So that's Derek Lackey, who is a community uh, columnist or from uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. And before we head to break, we're going to go with one news story. So there is a new... I always jump the gun there on those uh, those bumpers. I need to do better. Uh, a new study on a four-day work week has yielded promising results. Mark Remelon files this report. In what was billed as the largest study of companies moving to a four-day work week, researchers found workers had greater job satisfaction, better sleep, less stress, and improved mental health. Shifting to a four-day work week didn't just benefit employees, though. The study from the University of Cambridge, Boston College, and other researchers showed most of the 61 companies that participated intend to keep the change in place, finding that revenue stayed the same and even grew in some cases. They also found a 57% drop in the likelihood of employees quitting over the same time a year earlier. Mark Remillard, ABC News. And so, as I mentioned throughout the show, we want to hear from you at home. So, you want to get in contact with us, you can vote on our polls at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can leave a comment and even do the same at Twitter, at Accessible Media. But you can also send us an email or even a selfie video by going to feedback at ami.ca. You can even give us a call and leave a voicemail. 1-866-509-4545. Don't forget to give us permission to play your comments on the air. You're watching Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.